Blog Talk Radio. Like 
on the post. And, you know, I just go to see the different people who like it just like curiosity's sake. And saw one with Sonny Collins. I was like, is that the Sonny Collins? So I clicked it to see if it was him, and it was. And so uh, DM'd him a little bit, been talking with him. Uh, tried to get him to come on the show, but he's kind of like, he's like, I don't keep up with sports. I wouldn't really, you know, feel comfortable talking about, you know, the current sports and everything that's going on. Um, he's living outside of Atlanta. John Clay, or the Herald Leader, did a write-up on him a couple of years ago when he was uh, turning 60. Uh, of course, he's an SEC legend, a U.K. legend, still holds records down at U.K., uh, and I was like, look, we just love to have you on to talk about you, <laughs> your career. I got plenty right. I can ask about that because his last year, uh, before you and I were born, 72 to 75, something like that, and then he ended the NFL draft in 76. Uh, and then he talked about how they had it rolling there because a couple years after that, uh, they went 9-3 and three and 10-1. and one, uh, Nine and three and seventy six, ten and one and seventy seven with Derek Ramsey and Art Steele and those guys. Uh, so it's been cool talking with Sonny, Mr. Collins, uh, Mike. Courtesy of him, have a few UK legends on in the future because he kind of passed some names and numbers to me. So we'll see what we can work out there. But it was it was just an honor to even DM them on social media. It was really cool. That that's that's outstanding. That is that is fantastic. And so on, and he is he is my dad's age. Actually, he's like two days older than my dad. And I pulled up the article that John Clay had written about him, and the quote that John, the line that he used was that was one of the most stylish running backs to ever play at Kentucky. Uh, he had eighteen one hundred yard rushing games, over thirty eight hundred yards in rushing. Um, still got records that still stand. Uh, talk about his speed and how he was able to get outside on that edge, and it was all she wrote after that. Uh, the man looks like he can still play. He looks he's in great shape even now. And um, had one more thought too. Shoot. Uh, oh, Tom Leach, the voice of the cat, just speaks foreverly about Sunday College. He, he talked about you know with. With Commonwealth Stadium being renovated, the new TWS opening this year, Tom has been talking about going to Commonwealth Stadium as a kid, uh, as a 12-year-old when it opened in 1973, and he was watching Sonny Collins as a kid. And he just speaks, if, you know, reverence hits his voice when he reminisces and talks about Sonny. So, I mean, that's that's the rarefied football celebrity we're talking about when we talk about this man. Yeah, definitely, and 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 the thing is, I think what sometimes people forget about is because Kentucky's history, you know, it, it's not Alabama, you know, it, it's not Texas, it's not one of those programs that uh, you think about football. But we've had a lot of great players, we've had some really great teams, and it, it's just been that consistency that I think people really want to see, but. There have been great players that have played uh, in the blue and white, and I think sometimes that gets lost in, uh, you know, what people think about Kentucky football. We've had some great, great players that would have been stars had they gone anywhere else. So uh, it's always good to, to look back and, and, and re- remember those people that, 
that, that still paved the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And not only is he a UK legend, but an SEC legend, like a 75th anniversary team. He was on that team with all the other schools and powers and with the tradition that you talk about. He is right there holding his own, standing side by side. You know, that's kind of the equivalent to, to me, the, you know, the 50 greatest NBA player list when that came out, you know, 19, 20 years ago. When you look at this all-SEC team and their Sonny Collins right there. So uh, it was cool. I'm still going to work on it from time to time, maybe. He didn't rule out coming on, but uh, we, we'll see what happens, TV. But, you know, I'm not going to bug the man. But every now and then, and, and he's, I'm in some little Facebook groups. You know, some U.K. fans have added me in different little various groups. He's in the group, so he sees when we post about the show, so he, he might be checking us out. So uh, we'll see. Maybe one day down the road, you know, he might hop on and, and, and holler at us one time. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we'll get in depth on the on the football. We're keeping tabs on, on volleyball and soccer as well. Soccer is 6-1-1, one, and, one, and uh, I'm still, of course, following them on Twitter and and, of course, you with personal relationship with Coach Lipschitz, uh, they're out to the good start. They had expectations, but yet that hasn't weighed them down so far this season. Uh, that's right. This past weekend they went down to uh, Ole Miss, and uh, Friday night they won at Ole Miss, came back on uh, Sunday and played Wisconsin to a 0-0 tie. And that game was actually on – uh, the SEC Network, so I had a chance to watch that. And it was one of those things, both uh, UK and Wisconsin had played on Friday night and traveled back to Lexington, and you could tell the legs just weren't there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's 6-1-1. and one. They're still, uh, uh, I believe they're number 18 this week uh, in the rankings. So they're still uh, doing what they need to do, those expectations like I said, have not weighed them down. If nothing else, I think they're they're working hard to live up to those preseason expectations and what's going on uh, during the season. To be a, a solid team, they're out to a solid start. You know, it's a six one and one. You say Wisconsin played as well. Both teams were coming off back to backs and then traveled and played to a sluggish tie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because the, the, uh, Kentucky, like I said, they played down in Oxford Friday night and then came back to play on Sunday, and kickoff was at 3 o'clock. So just a, one of those tight turnaround games. I'm, I'm sure uh, Coach John would have would have liked a, uh, you know, W, but uh, playing to a 0-0 tie is not that bad when you kind of look at uh, the totality of the, of the schedule. The starting pretty soon as they get into the thick of conference play, uh, there's going to be the, the two games highlighted on their schedule at Florida and Texas A&M uh, at home. Those are going to be the two big games that uh, I definitely think they're going to want to get. Those are the two teams. I believe they're still ranked in the top 15, both of them. So those are going to be the games that uh, the Lady Cats are going to want to go out and, and really – uh, get get the victory. Going to want to play hard. Definitely. So, 
Uh, and volleyball, uh, and special teams in SEC running out there, hold a steady at 500, 5-5. Five and five. That conference play has not started, so they can definitely make some noise as everybody starts beating each other up in the conference. Um, Tennessee right now is 12-0, but like I said, it's still nothing nothing happening in conference yet, and uh, we'll see what happens when they, they jump in and start playing other SEC squads. But right now, holding steady at 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, and, and that's the thing uh, that, again, people that say that uh, the University of Kentucky is just a basketball school. They're they're not getting they're not getting the whole picture uh, because obviously it's uh, it's more than that. Uh, I mean they're competitive across the board, so uh, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, once volleyball gets into the uh, the thick of the conference, that's where you can really, even if you don't have a, a great uh, you know early season, you can you can turn things around. Uh, by going deep, you know, playing well in your conference. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, there will still be some gelling that will take place. Um, a lot of teams that are, are kind of hot now could dip, and teams that are, you know, holding steady could catch fire. A lot of a lot of room for, for shuffling uh, between now and the end of the season. And, and, you know, with the SEC being as competitive as they are across the board, uh, a successful uh, conference season, that, that can that can really turn your entire season around. So it's going to be interesting to kind of watch that uh, as the volleyball team as that develops. Definitely so, definitely so. Um, also, too, let everybody know that at 7 o'clock, we do have a guest, got a big-time guest coming to us, we got Gerald Brown. Uh, he hosts the Bottom Line Sports Show, which is also on Blog Talk Radio. But he is also on the weekends. He hosts his show on Sirius XM NBA. So he's a he's an NBA guy. Uh, he can talk talk everything on his show, kind of like we do. We talk all all the um, MLB, NFL, you know, NBA. Talk about all of those things, and you know. He, might be a distant cousin of yours, and I know you know he's he's Brown, you're Brown. He's from upstate New York, New Jersey area, you know. But I don't know. There might be some kind of connection down the line. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it'll be fun to have Gerald on. He was on with us back when we had our other show before we started this show, and I think something had to, something had come up where you had to leave early. Did. So y'all weren't able to to talk, but uh, we'll be able to get y'all together for a few minutes, and it'll be fun talking with Gerald. Just for a little background for you, he's also a U of L fan, even though uh, he's from up in the New Jersey area. When he was a kid, he got to be a ball boy for the Knicks when Rick Pitino was there. So kind of, you know, struck a bond from way back in the day. So that's why he kind of is a uh, Cards fan. Right now, you know, because Rick is over there in Louisville. So that's how that it works out. So I'm going to ask him a little bit about that. Um, and I'll touch on it, too, right now with us, because we didn't mention it last week. Uh, and I'll talk about all this when Gerald is on as well, among all the other things we'll get to. But when Daryl Dawkins passed, 
forgot to mention that last week. And then here we have the news. Moses Malone passes shortly thereafter. Two big-time big men, big personalities, well-known, popular players, very young. Darrell Dawkins, 58, Moses Malone, 60, uh, and both of them have passed away. So, you know, us being NBA guys, being young guys, but still, you know, knowing who they were as kids, that was just, just unbelievable to hear about both of them in the past week and a half. Oh, did I lose your TV? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Did I lose you? I'm not. I'm not sure what you? happened there, but I'm here. Hmm. Okay, my fault. I didn't believe it or not. I didn't hit a mute button. I'm all the mute buttons are unharmed right now, so I don't know what that was. <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> I was talking about how we would we would get into an, this topic among others. Uh, when Gerald comes on at seven, with him, you know, being an NBA guy too, like ourselves. But just the fact that uh, I didn't mention last week when Daryl, and then here a few days later, Moses Malone passed away. Uh, both of them big time, big men, big personalities. Uh, a tad before our time, but you and I knew who they were growing up as kids. Still have memories of them playing, especially Moses Malone because he played well into the nineties. Uh, had a, a long 20-year career. But Moses, age 60, and Daryl, age 58, it was just a shock to hear about both of them passing away. Definitely. And, and I remember Moses uh, playing uh, toward, toward the tail end of his career. And it's one of those things, you know, folks our age uh, not appreciating, you know, those guys because we saw – you know, so I'm kind of at the end of their careers. But Moses, uh, I saw, and I want to make sure I get this correctly, uh, he had six or seven straight seasons. He averaged 24 points and 17 rebounds, and, and no big man has averaged that since. So, I mean, that's that's some rarefied air right there, the things he was able to do uh, on the basketball court. Uh, what NBA TV has been doing has been showing some of these older games, especially around the, the Hall of Fame, showing some of those games where you could see the, these guys kind of in their element. And and I think that's the best way to appreciate them. Uh, you can see guys on with their highlight reels, but if, unless you can really kind of see them in the flow of a game, I think that's when you can get a, a greater appreciation for just how good they were. And Moses was just, I mean, you know, it, tenacious gets thrown around, relentless gets thrown around. But when it came to, to rebounding, offensive boards, defensive boards, rebounding period, I mean, he was tenacious. Uh, on the offensive glass, it was, you just could not keep him off of the glass. Uh, he was still kind of raw offensively, you know, as far as, you know, the, the polish on the jumper or, or his post moves and stuff like that. But he would get, you know, two or three offensive rebounds in a possession, you know, and it wasn't uncommon for him to do that. Then, you know, put it back in and get the score. He just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. Uh, you mentioned the tail end of his career. That was one of the, the things I still knock the Atlanta Hawks for and one of the reasons I'm not a fan of them 
when when they had Dominic Wilkins in his prime, you know, they, they gave John Conkac big money. That was the attempt to help around him. Doc Rivers was, you know, solid. Kevin Willis made a couple all-star appearances. Moses Malone was there, but he was on the downside. He was like 34, 35, I think 89 or 90, somewhere along in there. He played with the Hawks, but he was, you know, past his prime. He was still a big name. I remember him being a big name, of course, you know, based on his career. But uh, he wasn't able to really be a true partner in crime like he could have been, you know, back in the early 80s when he teamed up with Dr. Day. And with all the things he did in Houston, uh, leading them to the finals in 81, they came up short against the Celtics. But uh, he was about 34, 35 there with the Hawks. But I remember Atlanta getting him, and that was one of their attempts to try to, to give Nick a little bit of help. Yeah, by that, by that point, it was kind of, uh, you know, you're going on uh, fumes and, and guile and, and old man knowledge uh, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I, there was a stint. He was with the, the Milwaukee Bucks for a while. It was just he bounced around towards the end, but but his Houston years, his Philly years, hey, and you know of course, eighty three. I I don't remember it live, but I've seen it so many times. You know the the plays are kind of burned into your mind, kind of like say, you know the Lynn Swan catches on the Cowboys, the Dwight. Clark catch on the Cowboys. I don't remember it live, but I've seen it so many times. It's like I was there. The same thing with Moses Malone in the 4 how he, he proclaimed that they were going to sweep everything around the playoffs, and they only dropped one game on the way to winning that title in 1983. Yeah, and NBA TV uh, showed one of those games. Uh, it was the Sixers versus the Milwaukee Bucks and Bob Lanier and Sidney Moncrief, that bunch, uh, during that 83 run. And uh, Moses was a beast, like you were saying. He, he worked the boards. And and here's my – when I, I'm watching these old games, particularly from the 80s, and you look at the way basketball is now, there were a lot of guys that you didn't need to draw up plays for like a Moses Malone, because he could get his off the rebound. He could get his off the scrum. I think there are a lot of guys, too many guys, that, that want, you know, the offense to be kind of, you know, played around, you know, to, to be built around them. When you look at a lot of these greats, they just went out and played, you know, and, and I don't think we see that as much uh, anymore. And – I mean, it was. Uh, I think it was. Um, it was in Slam Magazine. I mean, I. I that was. Uh, I mean, it's online now. But back when you know, we're dating ourselves. You and I were coming up. You know, Slam Magazine was was new and it was fresh and it was. The Sports Illustrated was cool, but Slam kind of gave you that more city perspective, that that street vibe with the writing. Uh, you know, Scoop Jackson and Russ Bingston and Lane Whitaker and all those guys. I never did subscribe, but I would just, you know, occasionally buy some from the newsstand. And, you know, I'd buy three or four, and then I went for a while, and then I'd buy me some more. But they were interviewing Moses in, in, in Issue of Slam, 
And I, I think it was the Playboy Mansion, because I remember the writer said because Moses had it like that. But he talked about, you know, when it got physical, he thrived on it. You know, his reputation of being so relentless on the board, he talked about when the elbows started flying, when, you know, blows started being exchanged down under the basket. That's that's kind of what got him going. He, he didn't shy away from that. He wasn't a bit scared to mix it up with any big man down there. Uh, and it showed with the type of rebounder he was. But I never did forget that. It always stuck with me when he talked about how, you know, he didn't wasn't phased when the elbows started flying down low and when things got chippy and things got rough and things got nasty down in the paint. Yeah, and and, and that's the one thing because I've been watching a lot of those uh, older games in the evening. Uh, of course, they had a, a Lakers day. A lot of the the Lakers games I've been watching, but but that's the difference is a lot of times uh, the guys just they just play. And, and it wasn't a matter of trying to, uh, you know, hey, I got to go get mine. It's like, hey, you just need to go get it. And I think that's the kind of the difference between uh, games of yesteryear and, and this year. Because um, I saw one of the uh, one of the Lakers games in the playoffs. You know, Magic Johnson during one of his MVP seasons. He finished the game. He took 12 shots. I mean, when's the last time we saw somebody, you know, <laughs> dominate averaging, you know, 11, 12 shots a game? I mean, that's uh, – and, and that can be a whole show <laughs> in and of itself. But that's one of the things that just struck me is uh, not a lot of set plays, but the guys just went out and got it done. Yeah, absolutely. They weren't coming for you back then, Marty. They were – I heard the – I had the ambulance and stuff, the police. They weren't trying no, to get no, you I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> hey, if they if they rolled up on you, just tell them you Terry Boom Brown, and that's all they need to hear. They probably they'd say, okay, we're sorry, and they would just back away and go on about their business. I believe. <laughs> Pull that Michael Irvin card. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> right, right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely uh, sad to hear about the past. And Daryl Dawkins, too, I mean, he he was more, you know, uh, the big personality and, and naming the dunks and, and breaking backboards. But uh, uh shame that he passed away at age 58 as well. So I definitely wanted to mention that uh, in this show, not let another show go by, not, not mention those two guys. You turned out to be correct as far as uh, this weekend was concerned. We both had to take on 8-4. I had them dropping this game to South Carolina. You had them winning it. It started out disastrous. Uh, they got down in a quick 7 nothing hole with a you know, pressure-affected Patrick Coles, uh, interception set up. Gamecock offense right there at the goal line, and they punch it in, and you're like, uh-oh. And, and that was preceded by uh, a strike that was dropped by Dorian Baker that could have been a really big play. But, you know, the fellas shook it off and dropped 24 unanswered on South Carolina after that, which is, I mean, you know, making a statement on the road 
which is you know they hadn't won a road game in ages, but that was that was really something to see. It, and, and here's and here's my thing. I'm I, I'm a half full, glass half full kind of guy, and the Cats are two and zero, and they haven't played a, a really great game yet. Mm. And my surprise is. You know, when you can go on the road against Steve Spurrier, who has had the Cats number for years and years, and when you your offense can kind of shut it down for the better half of, of the second half, and you still come out with a victory, that's huge. You know, we, we talked about the defense against Louisiana, you know, not getting it done. They saved the game in the mm-hmm. second half. When you think about touchdown yeah. was a gift off the Patrick Tolles interception, and right. South Carolina takes over, you know, inside the five. You take that away, and wow! I mean, holding them to field goals, <laughs> getting off the field on third down, they made plays. And then when the offense absolutely had to get first downs, they did. You know, when you, those drives in the in the third quarter, they start off with penalties and, and that kind of thing. But the team did what they had to do to win, and I think that should be the focus. You know, yeah. people are talking about, you know, does Barker need to play? Does the, no, the team is winning. And you can you can feel that confidence because, like I said, they haven't played a great game. And we can talk about where South Carolina is in the big scheme of things, but for the Kentucky Wildcats to go on the road to South Carolina, go the entire third quarter without a first down, and still win the game? Are you kidding me? I take that. I mean, I, I, I take that. So I, I think yeah. it's something to build on. And, and it, it 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 points to what we've talked about is this change of culture. You know, Patty Ice comes out, throws that interception, South Carolina scores. Mm-hmm. Old Kentucky, in South Carolina goes on a 24-point run. New Kentucky, all right, let's regroup, boom. I mean, there was no hanging of the head. Mm-hmm. There's no woe is us. It's just all about, you know, let's go out here and compete. That's a totally different mindset, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and and the, you know, he was he was less than fifty percent completion percentage in the first game. He comes back with a super efficient game. I mean, twenty one of twenty nine. Um, and then, you know, 29, and a big chunk of yardage added on because, I mean, it was it was a chunk of yardage if he tackled mm-hmm. where he caught it. But he had room to run. So, I mean, his numbers would have looked even better. Uh, so he turned in a much better performance like he kind of thought he would, especially with him playing a full season last year, having that experience. We talked about it last week. The clamoring for for Drew Barker is, is 
it's in some points kind of odd. It makes you scratch your head. Mm-hmm. They they are continuing to win. They're two and zero. Mark Stoops is two and zero against these. I mean, two and one against these Spurrier. A touchdown game away from being three and zero against him because he gave him all he wanted in year one. Um, and teams of old would not have been able to shake off that start. You know, like you said, the change of culture. It didn't even phase them. You know, the offense went out there and carved them up, and it did. It flipped the script. You know, against Louisiana, we were kind of doing something, and they came through at the end and got some stops when they needed to uh, to keep Louisiana from going ahead after it was tied 33-33. This time, we're, we're kind of hoping the offense in the second half just, just sustain a little something because we're, you know, dreading the defense having to go out again and and answer the bell. But the defense continue to do so, and then the offense at the end finally comes through. So they are definitely a first-half team uh, so far. But like Coach Stoops said on Monday, so on his weekly college show, of course they are looking at everything uh, to see how to correct and, and adjust the little lulls that take place in the third quarter. And like you said, they haven't played a complete game yet, and they're two and zero. And 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 that's the thing is, I think for the most part the fans understand what's going on, but you'd always got these folks that, yeah, the offense, there's without a doubt, they look bad in the third quarter. They look bad, and we saw a lot of those kind of dump off screens on third and long, and, and then you know it's all oh, same old Kentucky. No, it's not. It's not. We, this and, team has weapons, which, yeah. is, which is which is which is multiple weapons, and yeah. I, I still think it's a little bit of a learning curve for uh, for Tolls with his receivers, uh, and and with the running backs. I, I think uh, I think this game against Florida is going to be huge. Even though Florida is not the Florida of Steve Spurrier, uh, of way back when, of uh, Tim Tebow, if, if they can go to 3-0 and and get that monkey off their back, I think we can finally, finally say old Kentucky is dead. If we can beat South Carolina and Steve Spurrier and Florida in back-to-back weeks, I think that's going to do a lot mentally for the guys on the team. Definitely. Um, I saw where I think Jen Smith had tweeted out for Steve, the friend of the show. Come, she came on with us, and we'll have her on again in the future. Uh, that in Stoops' first two years, he has lost all six games decided by single digits, and now here to start this season, they've won back-to-back games. By ten points or less, forty to thirty-three in the first game, twenty-six twenty-two in the second game. So, like you said, continuing to uh, change their own mindset, change their own history, and and learning how to learning how to win close games. They had a couple of chances last year where they came up short, and now they're able to finish them off and get those wins when things get tight. And and that's what Stoops and company can point to all this week, last year, 
We had Florida on the ropes in Gainesville. We are better than that team this year. Let's do what we need to do. We we can we can run the ball. We can we can pound that rock. We can uh, we can go deep. Our receivers, and this was the one thing I looked at, or was looking at the South Carolina game. Could they get separation? Could they do what we saw them do against Louisiana? Could we see them to have the same kind of success against South Carolina? And the answer is yes. So we have a complete SEC caliber receiving core. The offensive line. Again, when we needed to pound out first down and run out that clock, they did what they had to do. And, and, and that's what we need to look at. The defense held. It, it, to me, it was, a, it was a great win. Kentucky's 2-0. and That is fantastic. Yeah, and, and – um. If you want to look at maybe a concern, like you said, the offense looked bad in the third quarter, and you got to credit South Carolina. They got after it. They they came out a little more hardcore than they did in the first half. Uh, they were getting gashed. They were missing tackles. Second half, they were flying around, and they kind of dictated and, and took things to the offense. The offense got in some, some long-guarded situations that, made things even more difficult for them. But as this offense continues to to mature, to continue to become more and more cohesive, I still think that in the future when a defense tries to come at them and punch them in the mouth, they'll respond and continue to, to dictate more than they are dictated to. I, I think that will continue uh if you want to look at something that will maybe change or improve going forward, they'll continue to hit teams in the mouth. Uh, when you look at the Woodson squad with, with Keenan Burton and all the weapons they had, it can be a similar situation game by game. There's still a bunch of young guys over there on that side of the ball. And when you look at Florida, they still got a ton of talent. They still got a ton of athletes. They haven't had success, like you said, it's not the Florida of old, but they still got a lot of athletes. Um, the corner, Vernon Hartgrave, if he plays, he can't cover everybody. He is he's a great corner. Uh, you know, he 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 uh shuts guys down, he's a shutdown type guy. He can't cover everybody for UK. And I wanna see whoever whether he just you know, follows Dorian Baker all over the field, if he follows Blake Bone all over the field, or if he's matched up with different guys in different situations, I want to see how they respond to going at him. You know, he has earned his reputation as being a premier corner in the league. Uh, a lot of the guys when asked talks about him being one of the best. Uh, Cam Sutton in Tennessee kind of gets a lot of love like that. As a matter of fact, when they interviewed Hargreaves that it's the media day to ask him whose game he liked, and he mentioned Southern Tennessee. But anyway, I want to see Baker and Bone and Johnson and Bedette, when they look across and see him, do they respond to the challenge, and how will they go at him? I, want, I look for that matchup because, like you said, we got some weapons now. We got some receivers now. We got some guys who can get off of jams now 
uh, and shake some one-on-one coverage from a elite DB. So that's going to be fun to see. And like I said, he can't cover everybody. They, they can't clone him between now and Saturday to where he can be on every UK wideout. Yeah, and, and this is going to be an interesting game. This is this is going to be the game. Like I said, if we can get over this mental hump, and we can say to ourselves, because uh, I agree with with Freddie Maggard and, and and what he said after the game, that we have leaped South Carolina or, or left South Carolina. We we've gone. We we've, we've jumped over this as far as the recruits yeah. were pulling in. And in the off the field, uh, went in two straight, and then Stoops' first year, like I said, it was a close game. So we, we, we've kind of we've jumped them. And assuming we've jumped, uh, we, we are above Vanderbilt, now is the time to, to move and kind of get, get in that pole position. Steal a win against Florida. Play hard against Tennessee. You know, and, and, and say, hey, we can make some noise in the SEC East. I think now is that. That was that time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, uh, the, the, the status is still the same on Ryan Flanagan. According to Dan Smith, quoting Mark Stoops, he could be 100% ready to play tomorrow, or it could be something that bothers him all year with his shoulder. So mm-hmm. his status is still kind of wait and see. He hasn't been cleared for contact yet. They get Jason Hatcher back this game, so that will help the defense as well. Um, and no doubt he's hopefully coming back ready to play, get his feet wet and, and hit the ground running. Um, Chris Westry, true freshman, was out there making plays, got him a sack, got a pick. Uh, the pick that sealed the deal uh, in the game against South Carolina, so he's coming along. You, you still going to get some freshman mistakes. He'll, he'll go get him. Wow, he'll have his share of times where he's burned or beaten or out of position or something like that. But he is showing some moxie. He's not scared to go out there and, uh, and you know, stick his nose in the mix as well. He was blitzing. He was dropping back in coverage. Uh, so definitely glad that he is a Wildcat and not down there, you know, playing for Will Mustamp and Auburn like he originally had planned to do when he committed down there. Yeah, like I said, the, the the young guys are making plays. Here is my one uh, frustration with some of the fans is, you know, every time the Cats make a bad play, it's, oh, no, you know, same old Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair because even Alabama, even number one Ohio State, there's going to be plays that are made. You know, your quarterback is going to throw an interception. There's going to be a fumble. Your defensive back is going to get burned. But we can't get into the same mindset of, oh, same old Kentucky. And and that's my one frustration, uh, you know, with, with the fans. is We can't even buy into that same old. You know, we're, we're asking the players to get over that. We need to get over that ourselves. And that's shouldn't be something we do, but at the same time, it's easier said than done. Even though every single season is its own individual season, mentally I think it's so easy for us to just tie the bad plays together and 
it just continued to grow and and swarm and and you know because it, you know it's the same thing you know you had Red Sox fans before they finally won the World Series in 2004. You know every bad thing you know you, you hear the, the new the Boston angst the New England angst. You know guys up there ready to jump off the bridges because the Sox just can't beat the Yanks and, and stuff like that. And that's how we do. We, we've seen the loss of Tennessee over and over again. We've seen Kentucky up, you know, seventeen to three, and then lose, you know, twenty four seventeen in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it it shouldn't be that as soon as something bad happens, you say, "Oh my God!" But at the same time, it's, it's hard to shake it when you've seen that movie a few times. Right, and, and and it's one of those things. Like I said, all. Seasons and players are unique into themselves, but uh, we've got to get out of that mindset of same old Kentucky because two games in, I'm I'm seeing a world of difference that Stoops has has brought in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and for the second straight game, the new Commonwealth Stadium is sold out. Two games, two sellouts. So the majority of the fans are are behind them and. and Trying to say that, you know, here we go. What's going to happen? How are we going to lose this week? Mentality. Uh, so it's good to see that it is officially sold out. The crowd is going to be just insane for Florida. It's a night game, 730. Uh, tailgating all day. Everybody will be ready. So the catwalk will be insane before the game. The team will feed off of that. And it's going to be another great atmosphere at the new Commonwealth Stadium. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it's sold out. You know, I hope folks kind of stay around uh, a little bit longer in Louisiana, but uh, definitely excited uh, as Kentucky football seems to be turning the page. I know it's early, and two games you can't really say a whole, whole lot, but I, I do feel confident in what we've seen so far. There's a lot of positive momentum uh, in the U.K. football program. Definitely. So, uh Looking forward to it Saturday night at 7.30 on the SEC Network. Uh, the excitement is building, the anticipation is building. We also have to, to talk about the other big stuff that happened this weekend on, on the basketball side with the two Hall of Famers. We'll do that. We'll catch our breath real quick. We got Jill Brown coming on at 7. Take us a quick break. Listen to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blocktalkradio.com. We'll be right back. You show up, I keep dancing, you're dancing, so dancing, I'm ready, you're ready. Slow dancing on the floor, ain't no place I'd rather be, I'd go.
Welcome back to Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry. Vinny Hardy, Ted Brown, the Brown and Hardy Radio Network from blogtalkradio.com. Appreciate y'all listening. 845-277-9373. We'll get your call. Feel free to do so. Got Gerald Brown coming up in 10 minutes. He hosts the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA. We'll talk about NBA a little bit, NFL a little bit, all kind of fun stuff with Gerald. That's going to be fun. We got to hit the Hall of Fame stuff real quick, TV, because Coach Cal went in, Louis Dampier went in. And of course, we got to talk about our two NFL teams uh, real quick as well and get, get your thoughts on that. We'll hit a little bit now before Gerald. We'll hit a little bit with Gerald because I know you might have to uh, jump off and, and do some school stuff because you are juggling all kind of stuff. So we'll just squeeze it all in and see how it goes. But the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Ceremony was was good stuff with the past and present of UK. You know, Louis Dampier, before we were born, he was at UK, and then Coach Cal getting inducted as well. So it was a, a real big blue, big blue presence up at the Hall of Fame ceremony. It was it was a great weekend, and it, it uh, I think it ended the ceremony Friday night ended great. It had a a UK flavor. Uh, with uh, Louis Dampier and Coach Cal ending the festivities. Uh, I thought it was a nice touch that uh, Louis had Dan Issel kind of be there uh, to present him into the Hall of Fame. That was a nice touch. And uh, even though he kind of hinted that he wasn't going to talk long and and, and wasn't going to do some different things, uh, Louis' speech was fantastic. It, it really was. Uh, you know, he, as those guys do, he thanked coaches and, and players, and really, it was just a really touched moment uh, for for him to get that recognition that uh, that he deserves. Because he retired in 1979. You know, he finished out his career with the Spurs. Uh, like he mentioned, playing alongside George Iceman, Gervin, Artist Gilmore. Uh, so he's been retired for 36 years. Uh, like May of 79 was his last game. You and I were a year and a half old when he hung them up. Um, so for him to, to get recognized after so much time passing, Francis was the lady who said, you got to talk for five minutes. And then he said, I, I looked around and none of you all care about Francis' job because everybody was going, just blowing right by the five minutes. And then Louie ended up going past it as well. Um, and he also, like you mentioned, had Dan Issel on there and called him the big dummy twice, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know joking yeah. <laughs> And you know, Dan Issel was just up there laughing. <laughs> that was hilarious because you and I didn't know anything about Louis' personality. Uh, I'd heard Tom Leach and Larry Conley, you know, on the Leach Report talking about how quiet he was. Lost both his parents as a teenager, which that would shake any kid up. Um, and so I didn't know what to expect. Uh, everybody kept saying the most difficult thing for him would be they would have to get up there and talk about the media obligations and, and all the talking. But it was cool to to get a little bit of what what is this guy like because you and I knew about him and I, I wrote a piece for CameronMillsRadio.com about 
Kentucky's past and present going into the Hall of Fame with Louis Cal, we knew about him. We knew he was a great player. We knew he was a bad man. We knew he could shoot the lights out. He's one of those that, you know, you put up the, the proverbial saying, if there had been a three-point line when he played, just like you say that about Pete Maravich, you say the same thing about Louis Dampier, you know, that, that's the kind of shooter he was. Um, but as far as what he, what makes him tick, it was just a small sample size, but we got to at least peek at what his personality is like with him giving his speech. So it was, it was great that he uh, was able to be inducted. Yeah, and it was like I said, it was it was good to get that little pick, excuse me, uh, of Louie and in, in in you know reaching back in the history of of Kentucky basketball, and it was a nice segue uh, to Coach Cal in his speech, which I thought was fantastic. It, it wasn't the usual usual uh, Cal speak; it was a, a little bit more subdued, as he thanked everybody from from way back when growing up. Uh, to uh, you know, current folks at Kentucky, but I think you know what's got everybody talking the most is uh, Cal uh, bringing all his former players that were there, and there were a ton of them, bringing them up on stage to share that yeah. moment. I, I thought that was just a nice, uh, just a really nice touch, a nice gesture uh, for him to do that. Yeah, and. And then uh, it, it would mean the UMass guys, the Memphis guys, uh, the Kentucky guys, the Marcus Nerlens, uh, Devin Booker, everybody, you know, AD. Uh, it, was, it was just, you know, the current team sitting in the stands uh, watching this. You know, Tony Barbie has been uh, a player but a friend for life, you know, when people who say doesn't care about his players, all of his players would beg to differ, you know. It, you know, he's there at the draft. It's not just like, I'm done with you after you quit playing for me. That's never been the case. Uh, if that was the case, the stage would have been empty. There wouldn't have been this support. Um, so it was, it was very cool to see. And then when he said, who of you guys – think I held you back, and then he goes, without looking, DeMarcus Cousins has both hands raised. So he still got a little joke in, and everybody had a laugh out of it. It was just fun all the way around. It, 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 was, it was fantastic, and I understand that, that Cal, he is a, a polarizing figure. If you like him, you really, really like him, and if you don't like him, you really, really don't like him. But as you were kind of saying, when you look at his former players and you look at coaches that have worked forward, worked with him, they are fiercely loyal to Cal, without a doubt. And that's something you don't see with a lot of other coaches. The, the one thing I could, I could kind of think of is, is Carolina and all those guys that talk about Dean Smith and the impact he has, you kind of get that same sense that whenever you hear Anthony Davis talk, you know, it, it's about, you know, it's something he learned at Kentucky from Cal. It, it, you get that same kind of feeling. That's why he get those guys to come back. 
for alumni games, for different things. Uh, whatever he's doing with the players, it, it's working. And as an outsider, you want to say he's got to be doing something. He's got to be cheating. I, I think he cares about those kids. As, as silly as that sounds, as kind of, you know, you sound like Pollyanna when you say that, he, he's connecting with those kids. And it's not just the Anthony Davises. You know, it's the Mark Cribs. It's, it's those end-of-the-bench guys that he's also having an impact on. So uh, definitely a, a great thing to see him uh, go into the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. And like you said, it's silly to, to say that, but it's that he cares for those kids. But it's really that simple. Uh, you know, and his actions speak louder than his words, and it's not something that he's – Started to do half-heartedly at UMass and then quit. Did it at Memphis for a year or two, or did at Kentucky. The whole time, his tenure as a coach, even even back when he was, you know, mean, as some of the the UMass guys refer to, saying that these UK guys couldn't play for him now because he's mellow. So it's it's been throughout the whole tenure of of his coaching career. Yeah, and they. Uh, like I said, the, the players to a person. He he has. Uh, I mean, he's helped he's helped them out. And in my concern was when he came to Kentucky. Number one, of course, you, you you're thinking of of the you know the vacated Final Fours. That's that's an issue. But my thing with the one and done is, how are those guys going to feed into? the Kentucky tradition, you know, because that's one thing is when you're Wildcat, you're Wildcat for life. How would those guys, if they're there a year or two, how would they fit into that fabric? And I'm pleasantly surprised that uh, they've done wonderfully because they they still come back. You know, Anthony Davis is just as much a part of Kentucky as as Dan Issel. You know, he's a Kentucky guy. And – you know, I've said it before, I'll keep saying it. It goes to uh, the type of person, the type of, of, of student, type of young man that Cal is bringing into the program. And it's the type of person Absolutely. he would bring into Memphis, the type of person he was bringing into uh, UMass. Uh, yeah. It's one thing to bring in talent, it's another thing to bring in uh, uh, guys willing to do the work and and become part of that school, and, and he's done a fantastic job. Definitely. And we are speaking of fantastic job. We are joined now by our guest. Uh, honored to have him on for a second time. Uh, we are talking about Gerald Brown. He is uh, the host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA, Channel 207, uh, XM Channel 86. We are talking with Gerald Brown. Gerald, you're on with Benny Hardy and Terry Brown. We got two Browns on tonight. Appreciate you taking the time to join us, man. How you doing? Benny, it's always a pleasure to speak with you because I know that, you know what, college basketball is not too far off, and it's always great to hear from you. Uh, Brown, it's always a great great last name. So, you know what, with a last name like Brown, you've got to be somebody special. How y'all doing this evening? Great to have you on, sir. All right. Yes, sir, man. We're doing good. 
And last time you were on with us, Gerald Terry had had left a little bit early, so I didn't get you guys connected then. But you know, he he is he is big on the brown name, just like yourself. And I knew I knew that would be a, a common thread right off the bat as soon as y'all got on the line tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong, Brown. Great minds think alike. That's right. <laughs> We got man, just just all kind of things popping right now. Um, no doubt, as you know, uh, hosting your shows like you do, and and all the big things you are doing. Uh, we're talking a little NFL. We're talking a little NBA. You, of course, an NBA guy. Love the game just like our, uh, we do. Uh, Want to just, of course, a sad note, but just get a little thoughts from you uh, on Moses Malone, who passed away on the heels of, of Daryl Dawkins. We talked about that just a few minutes ago before you came on. Oh, what, what, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. In terms of Moses Malone? Yeah, just just kind of give a little, a little tribute and, and your thoughts. And, of course, he was he was a, a little before our time. We watched him as kids, but just your thoughts on Moses. It was such a shock when he passed away. Um, yeah, it was, it was a big shock. Uh, because we were actually on air, and I actually saw the ticker in the monitor uh, that specified that he had passed away, and it was really a shock. I think that, you know, um, it's just sad to see, especially if you're a Sixers fan, you know, in terms of let alone being a basketball fan, but you're a Sixers fan, you lost two iconic individuals associated with a team that has really struggled even being with mediocrity, have an organization that these were guys that were pillars uh, with their success of the franchise. And you're talking about a guy, Moses, who was brought to Philly to deliver a championship, uh, and he did so for Dr. J. And I want to go back because I was actually hearing you guys talking. Look, I'm a sports fan in general, but I heard you guys talking about Cal and really, you know, Coach utilizing the one-and-done rule. And it's so profound that in that whole setup, you know, from Friday night's Hall of Fame induction ceremony, we had the great Spencer Hayward, was one of the guys that challenged to go to the NBA from high school. And then you have the passing of the great Moses Malone, who was a guy that essentially went from high school to the ABA. And one thing that I look at is um, in, in terms of sort of the gold standard of what we expected guys to do when they come from high school into the pros. You look at guys like LeBron James, and pretty much maybe a guy like Moses Malone. And Moses Malone really had an impact from day one, stepping on the court playing with grown men. And I think that really should be sort of the, the sort of gold standard of what you expect when a kid comes from high school going into the NBA. Yeah, it was, you know, there was as far as that gap, that adjustment period, I mean, he jumped right in. I was I referenced an article I read about, Moses, as a teenager in Slam Magazine, uh, he talked about, you know, when the elbow started flying. I mean, he loved that. He didn't back away. When it got nasty in the paint, when it got physical, when it got rough and tough and tumble and, and bruised and chippy, that's when, you know, that was when he did his best work. Yes, yes. And it's just cra- amazing that I think uh, – you know, some people have referenced uh, Moses perhaps being the sixth or seventh best center uh, in, in NBA history, and I, I totally disagree with that because he's one of four guys to average twenty-five to have a total of twenty-five thousand points and fifteen thousand rebounds, and that was one guy that I single team single-handedly dominate Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and this is a guy that taught Akeem Olajuwon, who let it be known, 
he taught him a lot of the physicality, a lot of the moves. I don't see Moses by far being behind Shaquille O'Neal and Hakeem Olajuwon, and it's no disrespect to those guys, but Moses was a guy that was a true back-to-the-basket center, a guy that didn't run away from the physical contact, but he also delivered it. And he was an exceptional free-throw shooter. So that's why I say that I would always give him the nod above a guy like Shaquille O'Neal because this guy was an exceptional free-throw shooter and a guy that really you could put the ball in his hands and back to the basket and was a monster offensive rebounder, monster rebounder in general. Yeah, that's what I about how you you we we throw tenacious and relentless around sometimes maybe a little too much, but those words are completely accurate when you talk about Moses. Like you say, especially on the offensive end, he kept coming, he kept coming, he kept coming. He was truly you know, relentless on the glass. Yes, yes, hands down was a guy that was a problem, and uh, you know it's sad and unfortunate that. In death, do we really acknowledge, you know, God's greatness or people's greatness? And sometimes that's always easily overlooked. You know, um, I think the key thing is, and we were talking about this today on ESPN, in terms of just really great, the word great has been thrown around so much that, you know, it's afraid to tell a guy if he's good. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a good player. I think we see a guy do a couple of commercials, he's had one good season, and now he's established as a great player. But in the past day, you know, in the past era, you would really have to see a guy do it over a consistent period of time to to, uh, to earn that title of being a great basketball player. Absolutely. Now, Jerry, I said this, you know, a, a few years ago. Uh, I thought it was the case then. I don't know if I, I'm saying I'm backing off of it now, but when you know Kevin Love was in Minnesota. And a few years ago, he was he was he was a little bit bigger, had a little more mass to him than he seems to have now. But I kind of likened him to to Moses Malone uh, with a little bit more range because he was boarding like crazy. He still didn't have a team success, but from an individual standpoint, his work on the glass is you know, something that really wasn't seen as much in today's game. He kind of had an old school number that he put up offensively. Would that be an accurate statement? You know, he's a little bit different now in Cleveland, but his first few years there in Minnesota when he was really doing some work like that. Jenny, I love you, man, but I don't know, man. You might have to throw some cold water on your face, man. Kevin Love, uh, in Minnesota, <laughs> Kevin Love, comparing him to uh, Moses Malone. Go throw some water on your face, man. I don't know. I don't know, man. Don't throw I mean, none of that, uh, that Kentucky uh, Big Blue Nation water on your face. Throw some water on your face. You can't compare Kevin Love to, no, uh, uh, you know, that's just tough in terms of maybe I think a rebounder that probably were on the level of like a Moe's Malone, I think a guy like Dennis Rodman, who was just relentless. You know, these guys that were so active and physical, I don't see that from Kevin Love. Kevin Love is good uh, rebounder in terms of when he was in Minnesota, but think about it this way, the adapt, how he had to adapt his game and, like, what we saw in terms of the drop-off. He went to Cleveland, and, yes, we knew there was going to be some semblance of that, but it's just a question of, you know, Moses did it on the big stage. And Moses was a guy that, you know, again, I never really saw Kevin Love really operate too much comfortably with his back to the basket as opposed to being a guy that was facing up. 
Moses would turn around, back to basket, face up, and, and, and really just relentless. I think I think really Dennis Rodman might be the guy that I would say come close to recent era in terms of guy that you compare to most Malone in terms of that that just that that ferocious, relentless, just like I'm going to do everything possible to get this rebound. Yeah, and I I was just going just from the the uh, for for just a little minute there. He was you know he was 15, 13, 14 for a few years in a row, boy, the game. I, w- I wasn't saying he was. I'm just saying. Vinny, I don't know. But, you, I, you know. but Vinny, you can't say Vinny. It wasn't even a minute. Throw some water on your face, Vinny. Not even a minute. Kevin Love, not even. No, no, Vinny. Throw some water on your face, man. Hey, I had to. I had to just throw it out there just for the for argument's sake, man. And, you know, because I know you're gonna tell it like it is, and uh, that's why I enjoy having you on for, for sure. Um. Uh, what do you think about when just keeping it on the NBA? Well, we're talking football. We can talk football and everything. Oh, we're about to. I'm about to. I'm going to jump there, too. But just give me your thoughts on, on each conference now, just going by the best record as far as seeding. You know, it doesn't matter. The division winner, it doesn't hold as much weight starting with next season. That was, that was my next thing, NBA. Then we, you know we got hit in NFL. You know that now. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, you know, the only downside about it is if you would have taken – I mean, I don't know if it would have been a downside, but think about it this way. The the best series, perhaps I, – I would, I, would go on, I could go on the record and say the best series of all of the playoffs with the exception of Cleveland versus Chicago – was that first-round series versus San Antonio versus the Clippers. And under this new setup, we wouldn't have had that. And now, if I'm a Clippers fan, maybe that might have been the momentum to get the Clippers to the Western Conference Finals, and they would have faced the Golden State Warriors. However, they were down three, they were up 3-1, say no more. But I, I like the idea because now you take the best seeds, but now the question will remain, will we have the better matchups? I think that inevitably – the NBA would do itself a favor and do the fans such good if we moved to a format where you took a la like the NCAA tournament. You take the 16 best records in the league, 16 teams, 16 best records overall. And if they were able to figure out a way for, you know, the logistics of traveling, give us the one versus 16 as well as, you know, from that standpoint, and, and, and we don't have to worry about – uh, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, give us the best matchups as possible, and thus it would inevitably end up with the best two teams in the finals. I think that that would be tremendous as opposed to, you know, series that are in the first round or so that we know inevitably just are not going to give us that sort of uh, that interest that we had. Now, two years ago it worked out well, but I think arguably – you know, the Eastern Conference Finals was a dud because Atlanta did something. I think they really accomplished a lot to get in there. And then the Western Conference Finals, nobody expected Houston to be there. They looked like they were perhaps a little overmatched. Yeah. and But if, if they do top 16, the one versus the 16 still has the potential to be boring. Say Orlando is 16 out of the – and where it won't be a conference anymore. Orlando's the 16, and, and Golden State or OKC is the one. That's still, for all intents and purposes, probably going to be a little, you know it's going to be a beatdown more often than not, right? 
Well, I mean, think about it this way. I don't know where they finished. I'm not certain 100%, but I know it might have been Brooklyn, Golden State versus Brooklyn. You know, uh, it might have been a little bit more of an entertaining matchup. Brooklyn likes to go small. The Golden State Warriors play small. That would have been something that is very intriguing. I think that if you could have had Milwaukee that was in the mix. You know, Milwaukee was an upstart team. So I think that it's almost – I compare it to interleague, football, interleague baseball. Once we had that sort of interleague baseball the first time around, people tuned in because it was something that we had never seen. But I think that if we would have looked at last year's current setup, I'm not certain if they were the first number one seed or not. I'm not really certain. But I think Brooklyn or the first seed that played, uh, I think it was Cleveland, had the number one seed. I can't remember who they played the first round. But uh, that Boston, it would have been Golden State versus Boston. You know, it might have been some things there, but still in all, I think you would have had a better matchup in terms of just, you know, something that would have been intriguing as opposed to what we have traditionally in a watertown Eastern Conference compared to a stacked powerhouse conference in the West. We are joined now by Gerald Brown, host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius Channel 207, XM Channel 86. Uh, he's also on blogtalkradio.com. Tuesdays, 9 to 10.30, and uh, on Sirius on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 1. Um, switching to MLB, I'll squeeze that in real quick and then jump to NFL. The, the couple races are getting a little bit tight. We got uh, Texas, who has ran down the Houston Astros and, and overtaken them in the AL West. Pittsburgh is now breathing down the neck of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, three games back going into today, and they're playing the Cubs. So that's, you know, Central versus Central going at it right now in the National League. And the the Toronto Blue Jays have, have pretty much got the AL East wrapped up, right? I'm, 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 I'm sure you agree with that. No way. Are you kidding me, Vinny? Come on, Vinny. That's like, that's like saying that, you know what, the Kentucky Wildcats will be playing in NIT this year. Come on, Vinny. Come on, Vinny. I, you know, I, I had to, you know, I, I can't get with the Yankees, so I had to just kind of, had to poke at you a little bit. I knew that gets you riled up. <laughs> Still got 18 games left. That, that race is just as tight as all the rest of them. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping the Blue Jays, you know, everybody knows what it's like to see the Yankees up there. It's been a minute for the Blue Jays. So let's, you know, let's all pull for the sentimental favorite north of the border. Uh, no. You got to buy that <laughs> No. As I tell you, the biggest thing, and it's funny, we were just mentioning this today, you look at the Mets and maybe the Toronto Blue Jays. If you're fans of both of those franchises and you're big fans, and this has been unexpected for both teams, but think about it this way. Those teams, you might enjoy it right now because nine times out of ten, they're not probably going to have that same type of uh, success that they're having now because they pushed all the chips into the front of the table the center of the table, and said, let's win now and forget about and worry about next year. David Price is not going to probably be a, a, a Toronto Blue Jay next year. You have uh, guys like David Price, Josh Donaldson. I'm not, you know, they're going to be big, big changes. And with the Mets, you want to this, arguably could possibly be the MVP of the National League. He's going to be a free agent. So these moves that were made, were basically said, let's just win now and forget everything else. Troy Tulowitzki is making a ton of money. You know, is he going to be able to hold up next year? 
you know, Juan Encarnacion, Edwin Encarnacion. You have a lot of guys on that team that are either in their last year of their deal or have a lot of money on the table. And the biggest question will be, you know, if they win a championship this year, it would be great. But then, you know, the question will be if they fall short, was it really worth it? So um, I like the Cardinals and, and, and the Pirates. I think that, uh, that you know, that series right there, I'm really pulling for the Pirates because Cardinals are really – I think the Cardinals are perhaps the closest thing to the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA uh, organization that really does it with, you know, low-level guys and really a, a killer uh, scouting department. But, you know, Pittsburgh has always been in that sort of playing game, and unfortunately they haven't been able to get over the hump. And uh, it's kind of like the Kansas City Royals of last year. I'm hoping that the Pittsburgh Pirates are able to push through and, and, and really get into a situation where they could take the next step. Yeah, and, and with Kansas City last year, they had to grind for their life to make it, and then that carried them all the way to a game of the World City title. So yes, uh, it, yes. it's been so long for Pittsburgh. You, you definitely like to see the Pirates have that same success. Yes. What do you do? Put your Yankees hat aside and look to the other team in the Big Apple for just a minute. What do you do if you're the Mets with, with the Matt Harvey situation? If, if you're I think it's, you know, it's a head I, honcho. Yeah. Really, I, I, you know, one of the things about it is Matt Harvey is represented by a guy, arguably one of the most powerful agents in baseball at one point in time, and that's being Scott yeah. Boris. And really having, you know, his agents dictate a lot of the terms with the Mets, I think it's been, um, you know, one of the telling situations. But I, I don't think, you know, you know, w- w- I don't understand why they're trying to sort of pitch him now and, I don't think the notion of having him pitch maybe three, four innings, like he's going to pitch Sunday in the, um, you know, the Big Apple showdown, the Subway Series showdown between the Yankees and Mets, he's going to pitch the Sunday night game. And I don't think that he's going to do a a, a sort of, uh, you know, full eight, nine innings. I think they're going to really watch his innings. But now the question becomes, how are you going to utilize him when the playoffs roll around and stuff and how well they'll be able to utilize him because, again, is he a guy that they can really rely on? And um, I think that's the big key. But um, the question remains, you know, if he's not able to perform in the playoffs, then it'll be a situation where uh, all it was all for naught. And I think, you know, the question also remains is, has he alienated, alienated a lot of his uh, teammates? You know, David Wright was a guy that I think they had a picture or some video showing that he didn't want to shake guys' hands and stuff. So it was yeah. really something yeah. that was uh, Bears watching. There's just – no matter how it shakes out, I mean, and we're just, you know, two weeks away from the playoffs, there's not really any kind of way that this isn't a distraction and a burden for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in in years. And that's the last thing they need is to have, you know, stuff like that going on uh, when, like you mentioned, it could be their one shot at any kind of postseason run. Right. No, you're right. And I mean, again, but I think the key thing is, is that if I'm Fred, the Wilpon family, Fred Wilpon, I think the, you know, Mets management organization, this was unexpected. So they're really enjoying this and just trying to ride the wave. You know, it's been a very, very tumultuous few years for the Mets organization, you know, uh, dealing with everything that happened with the Ponzi scheme and the Bernie Madoff and just a lot of missteps. 
So now they caught lightning in the bottle, you know, with their pitching. They made the move, that deadline, bringing in guys like Joanna Cespedes. That paid off. And, and so, by the way, the Washington Nationals really just collapsed. So I, I think that, you know, they're worried about that. They'll cross that bridge when they come to it. But I think they're just so happy to understand that they're playing for something meaningful uh, at this time of the year. Yeah, that's, that's like you said, they just happen to be in this position. You're right. You're exactly right. Um, yeah. Switching switch to the NFL, you know, week one, uh, everybody likes to overreact. Everybody thinks, you know, you know, jumping on the first little thing from the first game that all these teams play. What stood out to you the most? What impressed you the most? What surprised you the most uh, from the opening weekend in the NFL? Uh, what what surprised me the most, I believe that the, I think anybody, the NFC West will be a very, very dominant division. And arguably, it was at one point in time that a few years back, the Seattle Seahawks made the world, uh, made the playoff, uh, the playoffs, excuse me, what I think are like a 7-9 record and people were complaining. That as, that, or, that, that division, Hands down, is going to be the toughest division and the best division in all of foot in all of football, just based upon the St. Louis Rams and their development. And you know, this is a team and organization where they don't know that you know their franchise might be you know relocated to L.A. But this is an organization yeah. that uh, again, the move of bringing you know get rid of Nick Fo- uh, Sam Bradford, you bring in Nick Foles, they will be the most dominant. So that was very surprised. Um, in terms of just the the, the interesting, I, I just think that, you know, again, the teams like, the, you know, the Jets and the Giants, I think that their moves are kind of interesting. But, um, the the you know, some of the teams you don't really have to worry about. We, we know Cleveland's going to be bad. I'm just looking for that team that was once a downtrodden team. Who's going to take that next step up? Very disappointed in the – you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we saw the Oakland Raiders just look like the Raiders. The Cleveland Browns look like the Cleveland Browns and Johnny Mansell, um, you know, and Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm really curious to see out of all of those downtrodden organizations and franchises, which team will be able to turn things around. Because when you're a team that is synonymous with failure, you know, it's always important to try to get off on the right track. Um, I think Atlanta was kind of impressive with impressive with their you know their defense in a dominating way. Um, Denver is a team that bears a little watching and a little concern. I thought it was very very telling how they struggled to really score. And there's been some whispers about the strength, the arm strength of you know Peyton Manning. And so just seeing how that evolves. But we know that their defense is going to be top notch. And I think, you know, other than that, you know, a team that's not too far from you guys, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, will, you know, what, what will, you know, will the real Andy Dalton and the real Cincinnati Bengals really stand up? Is this a situation where Marvin Lewis can possibly be on the hot seat? You know, this is a team that once it was about 10, they make it to the playoffs. Now it's a question of can they win in the playoffs. So it just bears watching to see how things play out with, the Cincinnati Bengals, but uh, I think those were the teams that kind of, you know, stood out to me, along with the Indianapolis Colts, you know, uh, is, is there anybody that's going to be able to challenge them, and are they sort of, you know, are they good by default because of the lack of talent that's in their division as a whole? Right, right. Now, as far as as your books, you know, it's, it's one game, 
I know you're a big fan of, of Mike Evans when he was drafted. Were you uh, a fan of Jameis? Did you want them to get Jameis to have when they had to? Is that who you wanted them to draft? Yes, I hands down, I totally wanted Jameis Winston. I thought Jameis Winston okay. had a lot of the intangibles that, you know, warrant and looks like a franchise quarterback. And I think the key thing is is that I watched the game carefully, and clearly the most alarming and concerning thing has nothing to do with Jameis Winston nor Mike Evans. It was the defense, and I think that you can't overreact because of one game. Right. I do notice the fact is that give the credit to Ken Winsenhunt and the uh, Tennessee Titans offensive staff. And, you know, to put together a game plan, which they clearly didn't show in the uh, preseason, they put together a offense of scheme that was very similar to what Marcus Mariota run in the uh, in, in Oregon in college. And it reminded me somewhat of the start that RG3 had. I remember his first game he played against the Saints in the Dome. He had a monster game. And it was just a question of, again, he got off to a great start. There was a lot of interest in him. But I think that it bears watching to see once teams start getting film on the, on the Titans offense, what type of adjustments will the Titans and Marcus Mariota be able to make? By no means am I saying that he's not a great quarterback. He's not a good quarterback, excuse me. Again, with the NFL, it's all about adjustments. Once teams get uh, film and footage, they'll know how to stop that. Look at RG3, what happened there. Once they had the offense, will he be able to adapt and become a sort of drop-back passer? But uh, you got to tip your hat to them and uh, really you know, say that they, they put on a show in week one. Uh, for sure, oh, and RG three, your thought, your thoughts on when will he bounce back? If he bounces back, how high will he bounce back, and where will he bounce back? Number one, it won't be in Washington. He needs to really leave yeah. Washington. Uh, the question remains that you know, right now, I don't know if he's going to be a number one starting quarterback. I don't think there's too many teams out there that you can say that perhaps he would be given the keys to the organization and the starting quarterback. So it's just a question of which route will he have to go. Um, We do understand that Washington is an organization that has been in shambles since since day one under Dan Snyder's leadership. Uh, I I think that, you know, again, if you think about it, you know, what do we know about Tyrod Taylor? You know, is Tyrod Taylor going to be the next Russell Wilson in Buffalo? If that's the case, you know, it's not a place that he's going to be able to call home there. We don't know with Geno Smith and and New York, you know, is Bryce Purdy is a guy that's brought in to be possibly groomed as a starting quarterback. I think RG3 would be an ideal fit in New York with the Jets. So that, Everything else is pretty much a toss-up, you know, with the exception of maybe the Houston Texans. I don't know too many places that you realistically say that RG3 will be able to come in and be a starting quarterback. I think that um, it it remains to be seen. I do believe he will be able to bounce back, but it's just a question of being able to be given a chance and also, most importantly, be able to have the necessary weapons around him, offensive line help, uh, solid running game, and at least, you know, wide receivers that defensive coordinators will have to look at and pay attention to. 
for sure. We're talking with Gerald Brown, host of the Bottom Line Sports Show. You can hear it on blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com slash B-L-I-N-E, B-Line. Uh, he's also on Sirius XM channel 207, uh, Sirius channel 207, XM channel 86, Sirius XM NBA, on Saturdays and Sundays 10 to 1. So the man is doing his thing. Uh, bouncing back to the NFC West, Jerry, i got a couple more questions for you. Now, you, of course, you know, it's it's kind of like the new NFC East, you know. Uh, like you mentioned how everybody was bagging on it a couple of years ago, and now, I mean, everybody in that division is stout. San Francisco was impressive over Minnesota, despite, you know, the crazy offseason they had. Uh, they got a win. Seattle is looking up at everybody else right now, the defending NFC champs. And here's the thing. Seattle goes to Green Bay, uh, a team they beat twice last year. It's at Lambeau, uh, Seattle, in the season opener last year, and then squeaked out a win in the playoffs last year. It's, I mean, I'm, we can't say must win this early in the season, but Seattle, you know, they, they need to try to avoid going 0-2 because we know how strong everybody else got to win. They got their work cut out for them going into Green Bay, a team in a place that you know wants to get some payback from, from losing to them twice last year. Hey, Vinny, I agree with you. I think that if there is anything anything such as a first a, a week two must win, I believe that that is facing the Seattle Seahawks because of two fronts. Number one, you don't want to fall back, uh, start off 0-2, already one game behind in your division. And granted, they're not playing a divisional game, but still in all, you don't want to start off 0-2. And, and then also, too, can you imagine if this team starts out 0-2? You know, now do you start to give in and say, hey, we got to give Cam Chancellor this money, who has, I think, two to three years still left on his contract? Well, if you open up that situation, Michael Bennett, who has come into camp, started the season off, wants a new deal, now you're going to have to be faced with those issues. So it's a very, very trying week that's upcoming for the Seattle Seahawks. If this defense struggles and if they don't play well, um, there could possibly be a situation where they're starting to panic and say, we got to pay Cam Chancellor and get him in here. And, you know, also, again, as I said before, you don't want to be 0-2. Um, but I still think that uh, still in all, they can go in there and win that game it will be a major, major win for the organization as a whole on both fronts. Yeah, and and you know, it's not a division game, like you said, but it is a conference game. And if you go in, lose to Green Bay, and then turn things around, that could still be the difference. You know, should you meet in the postseason, you could be playing – in Lambeau instead of playing in the 12th man in Seattle. So it's it's still important, even from that front as well. I totally agree. Remember, keep in mind, it's only 16 games. You know, it's only 16 games, and this is, you know, like college football. Every game counts. You know, there's only eight spots for NFL playoffs, and, um, you know, not even eight spots. I'm sorry, but, again, if you want to yeah, be in that situation – yeah, you know, you want to be in that situation where, uh, you know, every game counts, and especially with you playing in a tough, tough uh, division like the NFC West. This next question, last question, is is a, I don't know if 
personal is the right word, but professional. It's it's more about about your mindset. I'm it's from I'm gonna talk in third person right quick. Is Daryl Brown the host on Bottom Line Sports on Block Talk Radio, and Daryl Brown the host on Sirius XM NBA? Are you any different in the way that you approach doing both of those shows? Is your mindset changed? Are you the exact same guy hosting? on Block Talk Radio on Tuesday as you are on Saturday and Sunday when you're on Sirius XM? Or do you, how do you, you know, how do you approach the two different shows? Do you tweak anything, or are you the same dude regardless of what show you're on? Well, personally, myself, no, I'm the same person. I mean, I think that the essence of what, you know, real sports talk is all about is just basically being a real person. You know, if you have this sort of made-up character and stuff, um, you know, those sort of gimmicks only last but also long. But I think at the end of the day, if you are able to be a genuine individual and come across, which, you know, majority of people we talk to all the time are sports fans. And I think that um, you're able to connect with people. The only tweaks that I uh, make is that uh, Sirius XM and, you know, uh, we, we're just focused on the NBA, whereas – you know, we do the stuff with Blog Talk Radio, and now we're doing some stuff with ESPN New York. It's all the sports, and it's local. So in terms of preparation, you know, that changes. But in, in terms of the personal delivery and how approaching the shows, it's it's always the same. Just be true, genuine, and try to be, and most importantly, be a professional and treat people the way you want to be treated because I think that at the end of the day, you know, you can have great sports talk without being disrespectful to anyone, and that's essential. I, I, I mean, look, yo, you definitely inspired a lot of people and uh, encouraged a lot of people to keep doing the same thing, myself included. Uh, I'm happy to be an acquaintance of yours and, and just enjoying watching what you do. i got to get back to check you out on Tuesday night, uh, ripping and running and doing little stuff, getting ready for this on Wednesday. I haven't been able to tune in. Uh, yeah, on, we haven't been back on thing. yet, but we, 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 yeah, we're getting ready to start back soon. And, you know, um, definitely, you know, Vinny, I always say, man, the beauty of Blog Talk Radio is making, you know, letting a lot of the people that's out there that love sports and have a passion for sports be able to get their start and, and really do something that I think um, you don't, you know, again, you don't have to be in a situation you can have your voice be heard. So, I, I think it's wonderful, and it's allowed myself as well as my co-host, Howie, and amongst the other individuals to really engage and interact with great like-minded sports enthusiasts like yourself and a wide variety of great, great people that um, it's just been a pleasure. So, I mean, I, I think it's a blessing. So if, for young, you know, people up and coming starting on shows like this, what what's your advice as far as how you maneuver and, and, of course, be yourself. But what do you what do you say to people who are aspiring to kind of do what you've done, starting on block talking and making it, taking it even further? Uh, grind, you know, grind. And I know the word is so cliche, but really, really try to perfect your craft. Put your all into it. Learn from others. I study a lot of the shows on television, regular radio, and I think you have to find your niche and making sure you identify what your niche is, you know, um, just really, really, instead of being in a situation where you criticize other shows, 
you know, give credit where credit is due, but at the same time be a student first and foremost and, you know, make sure that each and every single show you just try to get better. And that's what I aspire to be and continue to do, but uh, work at your craft, you know, even if it's on one day a week, you know, work at the craft, you know, I'm all over the place. And, you know, you would think for a Saturday and Sunday show, it's just really a couple days of preparation. Well, no, we we put so much time and energy in. It's during the week. It's communicating with guests. It's coming up with different ideas. And, you know, you want to show the fruits of your labor when people can call in and engage in great conversation. But uh, I would suggest that really just put the work in and work at it and, you know, perfect the craft and, above all, make sure you demonstrate a strong sense of professionalism that people can listen to from your grandparents, mothers, daughters, sons, everybody, something that you'd be proud of as opposed to saying, well, you know, I can't let my mom hear this or my aunt or whatever. You know, make sure there's a a quality, quality uh, program that you put forward. That's definitely good advice. And uh, I'm enjoying watching you from afar and, and trying to emulate um, take things from you guys and, and like you said, studying others and, and that kind of thing and trying to get better each and every show. Um, one last quick thing I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to let you go. Over under three years on the Knicks being relevant and relevant of seven or eight speed at some point? I think maybe year two. I think the question will be if they have to move Carmelo Anthony. I think that, you know, this team will be better this year. I think they possibly could win 25 to 35 games max, but uh, it's just a question of this is a very, very fragile team in terms of depth and the expectation of getting role players to play above and beyond their talents. But I think that I would not be surprised perhaps in next year, um, depending on how things play out this year, that inevitably they will have to make the decision to trade Carmelo Anthony and see how the development of Chris Stapps-Brazingis pays out. Yes, that's like you said. Those are the the most pressing issues: the new kid and then Mellow for sure. Um, Gerald, man, thanks so much for the time. I got a little long winded and asked so many questions. Uh, didn't mean to just eat up all of your evening, but appreciate you just taking time out of your evening to hop on the show with us tonight. Uh, I always got much respect on everything you're doing. Give. Give my regards to Howie. Might have to get him on some point in time. I enjoy listening to two of you guys uh, interact on the show together. Uh, you guys are definitely doing your thing. No, Vinny, hey, listen, man, anytime. I never look at it as an interview at all. I just look at it as an opportunity to really just talk some sports. So, by all means, you never got long-winded. It's always a pleasure, man, to talk with you. And, you know, like I said before, when I speak to you, I know that, uh, you know, the Bluegrass State – uh, that basketball battle is not too far in the near distant future. But anytime you need me, man, just uh, let me know. And we'd love to be glad to come on, and, as well as Howie would love to be on the show as well. Hey, we'll we'll get you back before before the basketball starts off. I mean, we uh, saw Coach Patino coaching down there in Puerto Rico, and uh, with with the cards, and it took it on the chin a couple of times. But we'll talk about all that. Uh, as the fall progresses, it'll it'll be that time before we know it, man. But uh, appreciate everything, Daryl, and have a great evening, man. Look forward to hearing you this weekend on Sirius XM. My man, I appreciate you, Vane. Hey, take care, Z. Thanks a lot, man. All right. All right. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Right. That's Daryl Brown. 
host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on blogtalkradio.com, on Sirius XM Channel 207, Sirius Channel 207, XM Channel 86. You can catch him Saturdays and Sundays, 10 to 1, uh, himself and Howie Coward, Howie Coward, Howie C, uh, BKA, better known as, uh, two of those guys do great things talking NBA on the weekends. Uh, fun stuff talking with Gerald. We'll take us a quick break, catch our breath, uh, wrap up the show in just a few minutes. we got one more segment coming up, but you listen to Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio, radio.com. Stay right with us, and we'll be right back.
So I'm in and out of traps and back of my head I back smile and put it on the track because everything that happened to me, I love it. I love it. I love it. Show 
and this coming Saturday in Commonwealth Stadium, uh, something that kind of will make us date ourselves. Sports, you'll see things that make you date yourself. Um, Patrick Ewing had a son that, that played college ball. You know, Patrick Ewing Jr. a few years ago uh, was, was playing ball. So that made you think, like, wow, you know, when we grew up watching Patrick at Georgetown and, and with the New York Knicks, um, Fred Taylor was a great running back for the Florida Gators, you know, to the NFL, most notably with the Jacksonville Jaguars and had a great career there. Um, solid back, often underrated, had a lot of good seasons, um, a lot of good yards, a real productive back. Uh, now his son is a member of the Florida Gators. He plays running back as well, Kelvin Taylor. Uh, for anybody who uh, was kind of keeping up with what was going on in and around the SEC, Kelvin Taylor drew the ire of head coach Jim McElwain because he did the old throat slash and a fan right there behind the front bench video coach McElwain, you know, tearing Kelvin Taylor a new one for that gesture, you know, called a selfish act. And, uh, you know, he really went in, lit into him, flushed at him, you know, got on him, um, stuff like that, you know, so everybody was wanting to get Fred's reaction to what he thought about it. And he thought it was a little bit much, a little bit over the top. You know, stuff like that happens, blow-ups like that happen. But Fred, you know, mentioned that Kelvin has moved on. You know, he tweeted out how much respect he has for Coach Michael Wayne. Fred said that he had done the throat slash many times, gotten fined for it, uh, things like that. So, a lot was kind of made out of it, uh, and a lot of people want to keep stirring it up, keep asking about it. Uh, but the younger Taylor has kind of moved on already. However, he has been demoted to third string on the depth chart for the Florida Gators. So we might not see as much of him as we would have initially had this not happened or he not gotten himself in the doghouse, so to speak. But um, that is uh, – a semi-storyline that the Florida Gators will be uh, dealing with, or that will kind of be a little buzz story that will be mentioned during the broadcast or leading up to the game as Florida travels to Lexington to play Kentucky. Um, but, but Kevin Taylor, son of Fred Taylor, something else that will kind of make you uh, date yourself. You know, Fred Taylor is essentially my age. He's a year older than I am. So uh played in the league from 98 to 2010, um, career yards, I'm looking at it right, let's see, 11,695 yards, 66 touchdowns, um, 14,000 yards from scrimmage because he also has 2,384 receiving yards, eight receiving touchdowns, 153 games, started 137 games, um, 4.6 yards per carry. So, uh, as mentioned, a productive back, played the bulk of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars right down the road from Gainesville, finished out his last two seasons uh, with the New England Patriots in 2009 in 2010. So, yeah, Fred Taylor now has 
a young son who's a member of his alma mater of his Florida Gators. So we'll see if we see Kevin Taylor this weekend in Commonwealth Stadium. We'll see what happens. Uh, if the game dictates that, if Jim McElwain decides uh, to give him some run out there against UK. Um, TB, we talked about his 49ers. They were impressive. Uh, the tumultuous offseason, Patrick Willis retiring, Justin Boylan retiring, Justin uh, Smith retiring, Chris Boylan retiring, Justin Smith retiring, all the Smiths getting in trouble being released. Uh, tons and tons of, of turnover and transition. Frank Gore leaving as a free agent to Indianapolis. Um, Steve Johnson now, former cat, is now with the uh, San Diego Chargers, so he moves from no-cow down no-cow. All of that is kind of a, a nutshell summary of everything that the 49ers had going on. But they came out and put on a show in their home opener. They they handled the Minnesota Vikings twenty to three. Um, they handled Adrian Peterson, holding him to about know, 30, 30 yards rushing, a little over thirty yards. And historically, the Forty ers have kind of been kryptonite for Adrian Peterson. Uh, I think his highest total was like eighty five yards. It was nothing spectacular when you think of what Adrian Peterson has done to opposing defenses. What a nightmare he's been. The 49ers have kept him in check every time they play. Now, they don't face each other a lot. They're not in the same division. In the same conference, but you know, NFC North, NFC West, they you know cross paths every few years. So uh, Adrian only had three or four meetings in his career against the 49ers. Uh, but he did not run wild. Uh, is he fresh? Maybe. Yeah, having played or been off in all but one game last year. Bit rusty, tied in a little bit off. First game for everybody, offensive line, still got to click and find some continuity. All of those things factored in. And despite all of San Francisco's, you know, uh, transitioning and turnover, uh, Jim Tomsula, Coach Tomsula, has been on that defensive staff for quite some time. So, if there is one constant that the San Francisco 49ers are going to have, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. You know, he's still going to definitely be overseeing and watching that, going over with a fine-tooth comb, even though he's the head coach. So, you know, he's had to fill and plug a lot of positions personnel-wise, but uh, the scheme and the concept and all that didn't really change. And they were flying around. They, they smothered the Vikings from the get-go, you know, gave up three points. Uh, and cruised on to a 20-3 win. Uh, my Dallas Cowboys also got a win, just like Terry Brown's San Francisco 49ers. The Cowboys did not cruise. They uh, had to come from behind in the waning seconds. Seven seconds left. Jason Witten catches the game winner. The Dallas Cowboys were extremely generous in their 27-26 victory. And 17 were, you know, courtesy of Dallas Cowboys turnovers, so the Giants could be very thankful for that. Uh, Cole Beasley fumbled, which led to a fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, there was also an interception, a pass thrown behind Jason Witten that set uh, the Giants up to get some more points, uh, as well as uh, another ricochet interception that led to points. They got two touchdowns and a field goal 
directly off of the Cowboys' turnover. So they can be thankful for that. The Cowboys, on the other hand, can be thankful that Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin were able to mismanage the clock in the final minutes, you know, of crunch time. Uh, the, the Giants were down there trying to get a touchdown, um, and Eli should have taken a sack, should have fallen down, should have done anything at all to keep the clock running, threw the ball out of the back of the end zone, uh, saved Dallas 40 seconds, giving them a minute and 35 seconds to drop back down the field and get the winning score, uh, as up to having less than a minute to do so. So uh, that was, you know, uh, a miscue on their part, uh, if you will. The New York Post made fun of Eli. They don't pull any punches. They never do. Uh, calling the $84 million dunce for him. Snapping the ball with way too much time left on uh, the game clock and the play clock at one time and then the incompletion in the back of the end zone. So Dallas was able to, to make them pay uh, and get down the field very quickly to to have Romo to the security bath, security blanket, Jason Witten, uh, for the game winner. Uh, Dallas moves on now to play the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. It's a road game. Get your face to Marco Murray for the first time. DeMarco Murray says he has no emotion about facing his former team. Well, that's player speak. We all know this will be emotion on both sides as far as that's concerned. Terry Brown, San Francisco 49ers, will be Pennsylvania as well. They will play the Pittsburgh Steelers. So uh, we'll see how both teams do. Dallas is having to move forward without Dez Bryant, out four to six weeks with that foot injury. Um, And the Cowboys are also going to be without Randy Gregory. Be good to get him back on the defensive side of the ball. Greg Hardy is, of course, out with uh, being suspended for all of his antics and bad decisions before he was even a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The Cowboys and Eagles is always a nasty rivalry. We'll see what happens this coming Sunday. The Eagles lost to the Atlanta Falcons 26-24, and they were getting, you know, hammered came back and made a game of it, but it fell short there at the end. And the Falcons got the win in Atlanta. But lots of fun stuff going on. NFL is back in full swing. Everybody's been waiting for it uh, all summer long. So uh, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But, yeah, the Cowboys are moving forward without Randy Gregory and Dez Bryant. Uh, so they'll have to have the, the next man up mentality, see who steps up to fill those spots. Uh, it was a crazy weekend in the SEC, football-wise as well. This time last week, we were all talking about how the SEC had 10 teams in the AP Top 25. Well, three of those teams made quick exits. Tennessee fell out. Mississippi State fell out. Arkansas uh, fell out in the Top 25. Arkansas lost at home to Toledo. Tennessee lost at home to Oklahoma. Mississippi State did lose to at least a ranked team, that was LSU, who came to Starkville and got a win. Tennessee had the lead for 59 minutes, 40 seconds, 59 minutes, you know, for the, the bulk of the game. Oklahoma ties it up at 17, goes on to win a double overtime, 31-24. to The biggest blown lead in the history uh, of home games 
at Neyland Stadium for Tennessee. So that is a, a tough one for them to swallow. Good thing for them is not a conference loss. Um, I've said it on this show throughout the summer. I'm just curious to see how Josh Dobbs handles being a starter. You know, he's come in the past two seasons and made a splash in the second half of the season. Now it's his gig from the get-go. So we'll see how he does playing out the grind of a full season. You know, week nine is going to be different for him this year because it'll be the first time he will have played in weeks one through eight. So uh, they'll have to check that out. they got Western Carolina coming to Knoxville, and then they have Florida as they try to erase this losing streak to Florida as well. It's not as long as Kentucky, uh, but it's it's up there around a decade-long streak themselves of coming short against the Gators. But Kentucky and Florida, 730, SEC Network, excitement is building, the stadium is sold out, everybody's looking forward to it. Kentucky's best chance um, to beat Florida in quite some time, best chance since last year and before last year, probably go back to 07 when they played uh, at home with Andre Woodson and them right after Kentucky had beaten them, number one ranked LSU, 43-37. The next week you have Florida coming to town. Uh, Florida won 45 to 38. So um, the best chance to beat Florida at Commonwealth Stadium since 07. Uh, and before that, it, it's been a long time since Kentucky has been close. There's that 24-21 game uh, back in the day. But a lot of the games have been one-sided because just the gap between Kentucky and Florida was just, you know, quite large. But it's closed down considerably. Kentucky has a, a very good shot. A lot of people picking Kentucky. Just good to see Kentucky uh, getting respect and, and not being just thrown down in the bottom of the SEC East with Vanderbilt like they have been for so many years. So the optimism is flying. Coach Stoops has people believing. He has the players believing. It's uh, a different mindset, and it's definitely – Good to see that. We're all looking forward to the game. It's going to be fun. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate TB being on with us. Appreciate you taking time out of your Wednesday uh, to listen to the show. If you missed anything, catch the podcast. Uh, we'll be posting that on our Twitter account, on the Facebook page, facebook.com, Cats Talk Wednesday, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Cats Talk. You can check it there as well. Uh, Feel free to catch up on anything you missed uh, on any of those uh, avenues. But it's been fun. Hope everybody has a great evening. We'll see you this time next week. For Terry Brown, for Gerald Brown, once again, huge thanks to Gerald Brown for coming on the show, uh, host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA. Always a pleasure talking with Gerald. Appreciate him once again coming on. For Terry Brown, for Gerald Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. You've been listening to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Everybody have a great evening, and we'll catch you this time next week. Thank you.